Looking for new threads? Well, we've got you covered at the Music Is Live podcast official merch store over at tpublic.com. Whether it's t-shirts, baseball tees, hoodies, coffee mugs, travel mugs, phone cases, or onesies for your infant rockers and metalheads, you can find everything you're looking for over at the Music Is Live podcast merch store at tpublic. Go to my link tree at l-i-n-k-a-t-r dot e-e forward slash Music Is Live podcast and get your merch today. Buy my stuff and thanks for your support. TerraNut is proud to offer you a natural nut bar chock full of healthy fats, minerals, and protein that meet your demands. Go to their website, www.terranut.com. You can order from them directly, and they will ship it to you. Use my coupon code, LUMAVS, and you will get a 25% discount on your first order. TerraNut Superfood Snacks, www.terranut.com. Don't forget to use coupon code, LUMAVS, at checkout. Fuel your life. Severed Angel, the deluxe edition of the self-titled debut album, available now. Pick up your copy today over at SeveredAngel.com. Available on all streaming media platforms. Severed Angel, get ready to ride the dogs of war. You're listening to the Music Is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, on the Rat Sound Review Network. Live podcast. This is your host Lou Mavs. Check out everything you need to know about the show over at my link tree. Music is Live podcast. Being a podcaster and a hobbyist musician, my goal with this podcast was never to promote artists who are already established, but rather to promote artists that never have a light shining on them in the mainstream. So I'm happy to say that my guest today is an experienced musician who recently joined the band Armada out of Long Island who have been playing on every credible stage in Nassau County, Suffolk County, Queens, and Brooklyn. We're going to talk about his experience as a musician and what he's doing now, both in and out of Armada. So I'm very happy to have as my guest today, guitarist for Armada, Mr. Mark Valentino. Lou, thank you so much for having me today. No problem. My privilege. You're an excellent guitarist in your own. Oh, please. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate Digging the music that. that you're putting out, man. Totally into it. Thanks. Yes, these guitars behind me are not just for show. I use them. <laughs> there you go. They're tools. They're not pieces of art. We got to use them. 
Exactly. Besides, I resent the fact that the only person that I could afford a $15,000 Frankenstrat is the one who could afford it who can't play. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, 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 you know, people want to collect things. I never tell people what to do with their money, but if I'm buying a guitar, whether I'm something for a couple hundred dollars or a couple of thousand, I'm putting some mileage on it, man. We're using it. I agree. But I think that anyone who, like me, when I started out, my dad bought me a cheap $100 acoustic to see if I would, uh, you know, stick it out. Mm -hmm. 30 years later, yes, I have. So, you you know, pay your dues. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we all got the calluses from playing all those years, yep. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. So how old were you when you say you caught the rock and roll bug and what made you want to pick up the guitar? I remember the exact moment I fell in love with music. Now, there was always music in the house growing up. My parents were not musicians. My father certainly was not a music lover, but we always had 1240 AM WGBB radio, Long Island radio station. And they played whatever the top 40 was. Now, we're talking 1973, 1974. So you go back to think what the hits were back then. The radio was always on. It was always getting into my head. My father's old school Brooklyn, and he never believed in shopping for the meats in a supermarket. We had to go back to his old Brooklyn neighborhood. Oh my God. (laughs) So on a Sunday, because my father worked six days a week, on a Sunday, he would throw me in the car. Sometimes my little brother would come with me and we'd go all the way into Brooklyn and I'd hang out. It took two hours to put the meat order together. I'd go hang out in the back of the butcher shop with the old Gindaloon Italians who were playing cards. And uh, they used to give me shots of espresso and watch this little fat kid bounce off the walls while the uh, the meat order was being done. <laughs> I swear to God. And, and they had a husky. I used to run that husky back and forth. By the time I was done with that dog, he was down on the ground. His tongue was hanging out. He was half dead. But there was one time on the way home, we were on the Grand Central Parkway near Parsons Boulevard. We just got past Queens Boulevard. So not too far from St. John's University. Then. Not too far at all. We were just gotten past... Queens Boulevard. My father had the radio on, AM radio, because I remember the five push buttons in the car, and Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen came on. And as my, the first notes kick, you know, it's got that drum fill that kicks into the song, and then it's this huge epic sound. I remember like looking at the radio, and my father was about to change the stage. I remember grabbing his hand, Dad, no! And all of a sudden, music made sense. I saw music in color. You know, it was like that scene in The Wizard of Oz when they go from black and white into color. That was the moment right there, Lou. I knew I wanted to do something with music. I was nine years old. It was 1975. I didn't get my first guitar until two years later. I have to admit, I I grew up on Bruce Springsteen's music. Um, how I feel about him as an artist now is irrelevant to what I thought his music was back then. But I will say, yeah. I can remember hearing Border Run the first time as well, because my brother had all the 70s cassettes up until Born in the USA. Right. But yeah, like that album, Darkness on the Edge of Town. I mean, oh my God, yeah. talk about like, you know, I mean, it kind of had that Phil Spector wall of sound thing where it just hit you. Born and- to Run did. Darkness didn't. That's the difference. Born to Run had that huge, epic Phil Spector wall of sound. Right. Darkness was a more stark album in contrast and it was it was deep i know exactly what you're saying it, 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 those two albums right there got me into springsteen right there yeah and i gotta admit as a fan of guardians of the galaxy i'm glad that they included the song badlands on the soundtrack for the third one. Thing, right yeah and it's funny you're talking about like music uh back in 1973 
on, you know, the five push button car stereo. Yep. And I'm thinking again, Guardians of the Galaxy, Blue Swedes hooked on a feeling. That probably go. was stuff you probably heard all the time. Absolutely. Everything from the 70s you could imagine was on that radio station. And it was like me and my brother sitting there eating our Cheerios in the morning, getting ready for school. It, it's still in my head. I can remember, like, I hear certain songs from the 70s, and I'm transported back to Mineola, 1973, 1974, 1975, sitting there having cereal, getting ready for school. I'll hear those songs, and I'll still think I'm that little kid listening to music for school, having breakfast. You know, I get asked a lot, like, what my favorite era of music is. And, you know, I mean, I grew up, I, I was born in 1980. So I grew up on, like, a lot of the, what they call, the hair metal, although I don't call it hair metal. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I also grew up on the classics, Rush and and, and Black Sabbath. Yeah. But I have to admit, I think my favorite era of music is 1970s British hard rock. Mm -hmm. That really is like my favorite era of music. And I probably for me, I would say it's like the 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 one era that I'm the most influenced by. Everybody has their influences. And that's what resonated with you. And that's what helped shape your musical path. So we're talking about like 75 is when you probably first picked up a guitar then. Two years later, 1977. So 77, I apologize. Okay. What was the experience like for you joining bands from back in the day to playing in a band now? I didn't get into my first real band until the year 2000. I was a very- You're kidding me. I swear to you. Okay. You were born in 1980. Correct. I high school in 1980. I'm going to be 57 in a couple of weeks. I'm just a little bit older than you. I hope I get toned as this man is by the time I'm 57. That's <laughs> a lot of work, man. It's a lot of work, but thank you. Thank you. I'm trying now. I'm in orange theory. Like, you know, oh. the, the fat's turning to muscle, but I got a hell of a lot more to lose. <laughs> it's 90% diet, 10% exercise. Watch your diet and watch your body improve. That's Agreed. what I, I understand. Yeah. So I'm a music lover. I'm not playing guitar yet. My mother's family's from Connecticut, Stanford, Connecticut. I've been going up there since I was a baby. My one cousin was a hippie in the 60s, saw the Beatles at Shea Stadium, went to Woodstock, did the whole Height Asbury uh, San Francisco scene back in the 60s. He gave me my first guitar. It was a Sears Silvertone. And Sears used to sell guitars and drums and amps back in the 50s and the 60s. Right. That's the same company that made Paul Stanley's line of guitars for a while, right? For a little while, yeah. Uh, right. Silvertone was reissuing uh, Paul Stanley guitars, yeah. Mm. I bring this guitar home, no amplifier. My cousin tells my mom, yeah, I think there's a problem with one of the pickups. So if you plug it in, it's not going to work. My mother misinterpreted that too. If you plug it in, it's going to burn the house down. No good. No good. No good. No good. So I had no guitar amp. I'm sitting there picking along. Think, 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 think. Now, the problem is, at the time, my favorite band in the world was Kiss. I got into Kiss in 1976 when I heard the Destroyer album. That was my first album getting into them too, in go. 1993. But the problem with Kiss back then is they tuned down a half step to E flat. Correct. I did not realize this. I, I had this little pitch pipe that you used to use to tune your guitar. And I'm wondering why I'm not playing the chords the same way. Because I am I am totally self-taught. I took two lessons in my entire life when I was 11 years old. A guy that was giving lessons on my paper route. That's how long ago we're talking. Uh, he goes, oh, yeah, my name is George. Uh, I, I, I teach guitar. You want to learn how to play? Yeah, of course I do. In 1977, this guy was charging $10 an hour, which is a lot of money back then, to take a lesson. First lesson, the parts of the guitar. These are the tuners. This is the nut. These are the frets. This is... So I'm like, oh, okay. A week later, I come back. 
now I'm going to show you how to hold the guitar. I'm thinking by the time this guy's done with me, I'm going to be poor. I'm never going to learn how to play. I went through the second lesson. I never went back. I said, from this point forward, I'm going to learn myself. And how did we do it back then? There was no YouTube. There was no tablature. Guitar world, guitar for the practicing musician were not even out. You had to learn by ear. Or you got the songbooks, but the songbooks were mostly big band standards. The Mel Bay Big Note songbook and things like that. The American songbook. That's how I, I learned like, Mel yeah, Bay. <laughs> it's Serenade or, or you know something like fucking Glenn Miller. Uh, yeah, I, I can learn that. I want to learn how to rock. So put the needle on the record, play a passage, bring the needle back. That's how I learned my entire life. Until... Guitar for the Practicing Musician, which was the precursor to Guitar World, came out, and I saw this thing called Tablature. Which, again, it was like, you know, the colors come back out, the heavens are open, and there's how you play the song. And I've, I've been playing, I can read, I can read sheet music, but I've been playing more by ear for the last 47 years that I'm playing guitar, 46 years. That's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, you picked up the instrument before Tablature was even a thing. Well, yeah. When when I was learning it, uh, it was prevalent amongst kids my age that wanted to learn the instrument. And that's all they knew how to do. And you guys uh, learned a lot faster than we did because you had it in front of you. I wish we would have had that when I was a kid. My, my older boy, he's 27. He plays guitar. He picked it up so fast with tablature. Unreal. Unreal. Right. I, the only thing that I think it deprives people of is yeah it, it teaches you where the notes go but you know it doesn't teach you things like how to develop your feel for the neck or for picking absolutely. it doesn't uh absolutely you know it because to me i think dynamics are part of what make each it part it's 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 part of what makes each individual guitar player different and special absolutely. in their own way that that's why i do mostly original music most of my life I've learned how to play a million songs in my time. I was playing along the records. I was playing along the CDs, you know, because uh, I also play drums. I play bass and I play piano and I play drums almost proficient as I play guitar. Again, self-taught, playing by ear, listening and developing my own style. That, that's something I've always strived for as an original musician is that my guitar sound, you can hear my influences, but it sounds like me. I'm never a carbon copy. I like that. And that's something I actually tried to uh, promote on the show because I remember uh, for a while after we lost the great Eddie Van Halen, mm -hmm. all of a sudden everybody started buying 5150 stuff. And oh, I'm yeah. like, that's not the point. You know, mm -hmm. like, Eddie didn't want you to be a carbon copy of him. Oh, no way. No way. He was adamant about you. You find your way. Don't follow my footsteps. Create your own. And it's funny you mentioned him because when I was around high school age, I would jam every now and then with some friends and I was horrible. I, I, I think these guys just let me play with them out of sympathy. Cause you know, I, I was friendly with everybody. I'm a good guy, you know? And there was this one guy, he went to new Hyde park Memorial high school. I went to Mineola and my friends like, we got to jam with this guy named Darren. He's really, really great. He's a great guitar player. He had the Eddie Van Halen style and sound like you would not believe he was playing a Kramer Beretta guitar. He did all the two-handed tapping. He had all the whammy bar tricks. He, he could play Van Halen. You closed your eyes, you thought Eddie was in the room. But we were playing stuff by Judas Priest. We were playing The Cars. We were playing Joan Jett. I mean, we were playing all the rock that was popular at the time. 
every time he played, it sounded like Eddie Van Halen playing the cars, Eddie Van Halen playing Judas Priest, Eddie Van Halen playing Joan Jett. He, I don't know whatever happened to him. I never saw him since, but he didn't develop a style of his own back then. He was a mere carbon copy of what was the popular flavor of the day. And I never wanted to be that. There was a guy who'd come into Sam Ash on Queens Boulevard mm-hmm. and he would take a PV model that was uh, th- at the time that was Eddie's brand mm-hmm. and would just do Eddie Van Halen licks. And I'm like, all right, guy, this is getting old. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I, I and I love Eddie. I mean, he's one of my favorites, yeah. but it's like to me, there's no reason why you can't take the influence of guys like Eddie, Neil Schoen of Journey, John Petrucci of Dream Theater, Alan Holdsworth, kind of put them in a blender, work mm-hmm. it out, and then figure out how you fit into that mold. And right. I think that's what I like about your guitar playing so much is Thank that you. it sounds like you. You know what I mean? So Yes. Yeah. I, you, you mentioned all of my influences in, in one sentence. Uh, I'm fortunate that I grew up in the 80s where yes, hair metal was the big thing, but the whole shredding guitar scene was just coming together. I learned how to play fast before I learned how to play well. And I would listen to Ingve Malmsteen. I was listening to Al Dimiola. Neil Sean is probably one of, if between him and Steve Lukather, they're my two top guitar players of all time. Great choices. Great choices. You know, if I was ever going to copy anybody, copying those two, you're not doing something wrong because they're so multifaceted. So I was absorbing everything I can get my hands on. Steve I, I I've been a, a Vi disciple, Cetriani. I, I actually worked out at a gym once with Steve Vi when he was in White Snake in like 1990. Right. He, he grew up in Crawl Place. He, he came back to visit his parents for, for Thanksgiving. It's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I'm in a gym in Mineola. He walks in. I see a guy in the distance come in. I thought it was a woman. Purple velour tracksuit, hair pulled back in a ponytail, and had big nose. That sounds like, like Steve I. <laughs> Steve I. I walk up to him, and I don't get starstruck very easily. I, I meet a lot of famous people with my job. Treat people like human beings. That's all you have to do, right? Right. Passion and Warfare had just come out, and I I wore that thing out. I I I think I wore that vinyl to the point where you can see through the other side. I I just approached him. I talked to him. Very nice, very gracious. I worked out with him for about an hour and a half. I picked his brain of every guitar theory you could possibly imagine. I'm like, I'm going to apply what this man taught me, and just brilliant and just so nice to deal with, but. I, I just, I've always wanted to find my sound. I, I I want people to be able to go, I can see who his influences are, but I never want anybody to go, oh, he's a Neil Sean clone. He's a John Petrucci clone. As an original artist, you don't want that. You're in a cover band, you're in a tribute band. Yeah, man, you got to play it to the record, especially here on Long Island, because people want to hear what they know. Mm-hmm. As an original artist, Lou, as you know, as yourself, putting out a CD now, you, you got you to gotta forge your own path. You got to have your own voice. You got to have... What makes you you? Agreed. And, you know, the thing is, like, I have nothing against, uh, you know, I have so many musician friends that are in cover bands and tribute bands and, yeah. you know, and they're great at what they do. I wish them all the best. Mm-hmm. It's just for me, I got tired of 
playing fucking Mustang Sally every week. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The only I was only in one cover band. I was in Armed and Dangerous for a while. I was one of the I remember Armed and Dangerous. Johnny Wildchild, I believe, right? John I was I was before him. I he, oh, he, wow. he replaced okay. me. Uh I was in that band at the time when all of us had to be patch members of motorcycle clubs. That's how we all knew each other from the motorcycle community. Well, and, I ain't uh, joining that anytime soon. <laughs> nah, nah, I think now they've uh, lessened the requirements, but back then you had to be a patch member. I was doing mostly seven string guitar. And our niche was we would take songs from the 60s and the 70s and we would make them heavy with the seven string guitars. Like we had a niche. So that was like the only time I was ever in a, a cover project. Everything else in my life has been all original. I just find I I can breathe better. I can I can be more creative in an original band because to me there's there's no restrictions there's nothing in front of me that says you got to play it like this you play it the way you want and i get so much more satisfaction that way father there's one question i want to piggyback on when you told me that your mother thought that you know by the sound of what your your cousin said that the house would blow up Mm -hmm. did, you, did you have an old school european mother not old school european i mean both my parents were italian they were both born here but Again, my father's Brooklyn upbringing. My father looked just like John Gotti back in the day. He, he scared the hell out of me. Oh, dear Lord. And my mother from Connecticut was old school Italian Catholic to the point where it was hit first and then asked questions later. This is the 1970s, Lou. It's not like it is today. You, I, know, I, you, you took your lumps back in the day, baby. Oh, trust me. I grew up with my lumps, too. First generation you know. born of Greek parents. So, oh, yeah. Okay, well, una fata, una rata. <laughs> exactly. Well, there was one time when my grades in the marking period were not up to my parents' expectations, and they took the guitar away from me. And my mother put it in my bedroom closet. She goes, For the rest of the marking period, you got to concentrate on your grades. Because I don't know how I made everything work, but I went to school, I played every little league sport that Mineola had to offer. I had friends, uh, I had a life, but I still found time to play hours a day with that guitar, you know, I, I still found time to practice. You take that thing away from me, you might as well just take away my will to live. I get and, it. And like a month in, I think I took it out of the closet. And again, no amplifier, Lou. I'm sitting up there by, on my bed. I'm going, ding, ding, ding. And you know, moms have that supersonic hearing. You know, they have that supersonic hearing. Oh yeah. Flies up the stairs, my door slams open. It's like the gates of hell opened up. She's screaming. She grabs the guitar, she throws it down the stairs, and the neck. Ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, I think it's a little bad bit enough. Of me. It's not Lou. It's bad enough. It's not my guitar. I mean, it's bad enough that it happened, but it's not even my guitar. It's my cousin's guitar. Uh, you know, I never told him until like twenty-five years later, as an adult, as a married man with a kid, that we were at a family function. He goes, "Hey, how's that silver tone doing? You still have it? Funny you should ask." <laughs> yeah. And I explained to him what happened all those years earlier, and he's like, "Ah, it's okay. It was a piece of crap guitar anyway." I was like, "Thank God." <laughs> I think a little of me just died inside hearing all that. I, I remember it vividly, man. Things like that—they leave an indelible impression on you. For me, growing up as a guitarist. I remember when I came home with my first half stack, Ooh. my mom freaked the fuck out. Like she was just like, she was ready to throw it out. I'm like, don't, do you know how much I spent on this thing? <laughs> mm -hmm. I had practice amps growing up. Like I said, I, 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 I didn't start playing in bands and stuff and getting half stacks until I was married out of the house and on my own. So I, I, there was, I always tell everybody there was two things that were very unpopular in my house, me and my guitar. So uh, 
I, I, I don't think bringing a half stack home would have would have gone very well with my family. No. What would you say were some of the more exciting venues or towns that you've played? Like, what were some of your most memorable gigs? Probably the most memorable was I I I had the band Cosmos Moon together for 14 years from 2000 through 2014. Uh, I joined it when it was half cover, half original, and over the years it morphed into my band because a lot of players. Uh, came and went. Uh, me and the drummer were the only two original members. So we kind of melded it into what we wanted it to be. Uh, we were in the Long Island Music Festival back in 2009, and we placed fourth out of 110 bands. We That and playing the Crazy Donkey in uh -huh. front of close to a thousand people was the most memorable, memorable 20 minutes of my life. Uh, had many, many great gigs uh, at 89 North, at Revolution, you know, some really, really great places. Uh, played some out-of-state shows in Pennsylvania with Cosmos Moon. That were a lot of fun, you know. Uh, I, they all, they all meant a lot to me because it shaped me into the musician that I am. I, I've never had a bad time on stage. It's, it's always been fun, even when things go wrong. You got to laugh it off. But yeah, 2009, Crazy Donkey, Long Island Music Festival. Uh, Anytime I played 89 North, you know, those big stages, Revolution, you know, always had a good time. I know by the shirt you're wearing right now, you have an affinity for Paul Reed Smith guitars. Yes, I do. I like them. They're they're way out of my price range. I think they're great guitars, though. I've played a couple. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the guitars that I appreciate that play them, uh, Mark Holcomb of Periphery yes. and also uh, Neil Shona Journey. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he even has the the F-hole models, which are really cool. Yeah. Um, so what is it that gears that gears you towards Paul Reed Smiths and uh, how long before you realized, all right, this is my brand? I, you know, I, I grew up playing guitars of various brands. Ibanez, BC Rich, Charvel, uh, got my first Gibson in 1986, 1987, when I was working at Matthew Music in Roosevelt Field, you know, the guitar store that used to be there. So I had my hands on different guitars. Nothing ever felt like home. I love the way the Les Paul felt, but here it is, the 80s. I wanted a whammy bar. I loved my BC Riches. I loved my Charvels, but that bolt-on neck didn't have the sustain that I wanted, even though I had a Jackson with active pickups, you know? And it was around 1986, 87 that I was in the city. I, I took my first trip to 48th Street when all the guitar stores were there. Uh, I got a lot of clients in the area. I walk down that block now and it almost brings me to tears that you can't even see anything that even suggests that used to be the music capital of New York. But I go to, I go to, uh, where was I? It was either Sam Ash or Manny's. It was, it was Manny's. It was Manny's. Uh, they had this black and yellow striped guitar on the wall. And I'm like, I never saw this kind of guitar. And this is back in the day when your guitars, like your cars of the 1970s, had this distinct shape. And from a mile away, you can tell what it is. I see this double cutaway guitar with a three to a side headstock. And what kind of, what are those inlays? I, I get closer. I'm like, birds? I'm like, this is incredible. But the price tag was well over $2,000, even yep. then. So, you know... Hey, I want to try out that guitar. Sit down with it. Felt perfectly balanced, neck through body. 
humbuckers, locking these weird locking tuners with a whammy bar. I'm like, all right, so far it's got everything I need. Started playing it. And PRS guitars back then all had the wide, thin neck. The neck pattern was perfect. I have big hands, but I don't want to fight the guitar. Sometimes with Les Balls, especially a Les Ball Custom, has that beefier neck, and that's what I had. And it just felt perfect. Couldn't afford it. I didn't get my first PRS until 1991. And I had to trade my Les Paul Custom, my Charvel Model 6 that I bought brand new in 86, and $500 in cash for this PRS that I got at Sam Ashman that used to be in Hempstead back in the day before Car Place. And uh, the guy that I used to see over there all the time, his name was Joe Cardone. He was a salesman. He's like one of the highest ranking vice presidents of the Sam Ash Corporation now. But he was my guitar guy. And I remember bringing this guitar home and I wanted to sleep with the damn thing. I mean, I, I was married at the time. The wife was getting a little jealous, you know, but it just, it felt right. And I've had many different PRSs over the years. Like I'll keep it for a few years and then I'll either trade it in and trade up or I'll sell it and trade up. Uh, I, I just recently bought a couple of years ago, uh, a custom 24 in whale blue. Uh, I got it from a guy in New Jersey from a Facebook PRS page. And uh, shout out to Keith. Thank you for hooking me up. And he's a collector, but he's also a player. But this guitar was made back in 2010. I dare you to find a scratch or a blemish on this guitar. It looks like somebody just built it today and handed it off to me. So and mint condition then. Mint is not even the word. Because I had, I had a whale blue back in 2000 that I bought. And when I was getting into Cosmos Moon, and I ended up selling it some years later, and I regretted it ever since. It was the best guitar I ever had in my life. And uh, I, I, I bought the same looking guitar, the Whale Blue, 24 frets, burn inlays, and it's my main stage guitar. It's my main stage guitar. I, I, I love PRS. They, I even have a hand-signed letter from Paul Reed Smith. I, I wrote the company back in 1991, telling how much I love the guitar, that it's the most amazing thing I've ever played. I got a hand-signed letter from him. It's not one of those form letters that, you know, thank you for your patronage, we appreciate, blah, blah, blah. Nope. It was typed on a typewriter, alluding to things that were in my letter, and that classic Paul Reed Smith signature in pen at the bottom. I got that in a frame. It's somewhere in a box. I got to find it. That is pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah, the company has always been very customer-friendly. Always. And and their product to me is just, it's they're pricey. I will admit, you know, you, it sets you back a little bit. But I I just I can't see playing on stage without that being my main guitar. And I have other guitars that I'll shuffle in. Uh, I have a beautiful Brian Moore custom that I like to play, uh, the green one that you usually see in a lot of my pictures. Yep. But the PRS is definitely, and I just bring it out for shows. I, I don't even use to record with it. I use the Brian Moore to record. I use the Brian Moore mostly in rehearsal. The PRS, she gets the stage time. That's very cool to know. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that Paul Reed Smith has actually, you know, they kind of went to the more, um, inexpensive consumer friendly, uh, mm -hmm. models with the SE models. I really like the Mark Tremonti one, and like I said, they that Mark Holcomb is also a PRS user, and they have his guitar in six and seven string yes. with ever tuned bridges. 
So it's not floating. So it stays in tune the whole time. Their SE stuff is really good quality because it's like the American made parts that are shipped over there and assembled overseas where the cost factor is so much cheaper. But it's still a quality instrument. It's it's not garbage. I've had a couple of SCs over the years. They are good guitars. And, you, and if you wanted to, you know, swap out the pickups and put in the true core series pickups, if you want to swap out the non-locking tuners for the actual locking tuners, it's not going to cost you much. And you got yourself a really damn good guitar. The, the SCs are very, they're a lot, they're underrated. People sometimes compare them to either Squire or Epiphone. You know, they think of it as like the minor leagues of like Gibson and Fender would be but they're not. They're actually really good guitars. See, I play Fender Mexican mostly, and I just modify them. Like, I, I take the bridge and replace it with a DiMarzio Super Distortion S, and I take the, um, and I take the, uh, the, the bridge, the stock bridge that comes with them, and I replace them with Vegatrem VT1s. And uh, those uh, bridges actually add so much um, crunch and sure. sustain. Absolutely. The guitar, I've had a couple so, of the Mexican strats, man. I love the Mexican Fender strats. Absolutely. You know what it is? You have guitar players who just love the instrument and where they find quality, which may not be naked to the human eye. But when we, you know, when we grab it and we feel it and we play it and there's that spark there, we know. I, I, I have no tolerance for guitar snobs i just uh, don't no no nah, nah, i never have i never will you know something you could play the most expensive guitar through the most expensive amp with a 300 monster cable and every pedal known to man but if you can't play guitar what's the point get off the stage <laughs> you're a pig in a silk suit a pig in a silk suit is still just a pig so you know, you put you put a two hundred dollar in my my hand, two hundred guitar, two hundred dollar guitar in my hand. You can put a two thousand dollar guitar in my hand. It's still going to sound like me, whether it's good or bad. That's that's up to the listener. It's still going to sound like me. It's this is where this is where the guitar playing comes from, kids. The this tone lies in the hands. Don't forget that. All in the hands. That's what it is. You know, and, and I again, you can play through. I, if I play through John Petrucci's rig, I'm not going to sound like John Petrucci. Let's face it. So. I got it's in the hands. That's what yeah. some people don't understand. There's an old story that, um, you know, Ted Nugent played uh, Eddie's uh, Frankenstrat and he sounded like Ted Nugent. There you go. Eddie there played go. Um, his uh, Ted Nugent's uh, Gibson uh, hollow body and sounded like Eddie. Exactly. Because that's just in the player's yeah. DNA. Yeah, exactly. So. I've never been a snob. I just know what I like. Right. You know, there's certain brands that, I'm not going to buy because I've, I've spent enough time in Sam Ash and Guitar Center that I know what I like. I'm not going to poo-poo. I'm not even going to tell you the brands that I'm not really crazy about because it it, it doesn't matter. I can just tell you what I do like. There you go. Be positive. That's why it's vanilla and chocolate, man. Everybody's got to have their favorite flavor. That's all that matters. What you like. Well, actually, I was going to ask you what some of the equipment that you do use. I've been using Line 6 religiously for about almost 25 years line six okay yes i i used to be the guy like when i used to work at matthew music i had a marshall valve state combo amp and because we used to buy things for cost most of my paycheck went back into the store mm. i was running nine boss pedals on the ground and if i turn them all on at the same time it it, it, it sounded like a jet plane taking off it was just all this noise after a while, I felt I was just doing this tap dance all, all over the place. Once I started getting into digital modeling amps, 
I felt that I had more tone control because everything I needed is built into this one unit and I can shape the sound for what I need because I'm the biggest gearhead in the world. If, if you give me, if you said, Hey Mark, I want you, I'm going to give you this Kemper profiling amp and I want to see what you think. You'll never see me again because there's just way too much to do with it. Give me a simple line six head. And I love using the old flex tone Two 300 watt head. They made them about 20 something years ago. Uh, they're very warm. I've had people who hear me play live, they swear I'm playing through a tube amp, and I'm not. It's 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 a solid stain amp that's got a Zener diode in the gain stage that gives it that tube tone. And I've loved line six. I, I have the 300 watt head. Uh, I play on the worship team at my local church. I've got the same flex tone red faced combo that I use in church. I got the 25 watt little line six practice amp upstairs in my studio I, I record with a 25 year old line six pod i'm totally sold on line six it works for me that's awesome actually i'm i'm happy to share with you what uh my live rig is yes i like to know what you're playing this the horizon and this is not a paid advertising but uh yeah. we're two guitar players talking shop so i might Absolutely. as well the uh horizon devices apex preamp it uh comes with its own no noise gate and here is the tight switch so you can press it down for tighter rhythms and open it up so to cool. uh yeah and uh, i actually found these on reverb you can't really find these in stores unless right. you find them used you actually have to order them from horizon devices but um this is what i use for rehearsal and uh for is that uh, di playing. into the pa system you yes this PA has it it can go straight front of house that's awesome. And, you know, for me, it's like, I think I'm just over the point of like bringing amps and things like that, because, you know, having some PTSD from being in a cover band situation where you're stuck all the way in the corner mm -hmm. with your stuff and you don't realize it, but they put you right next to the bathroom. So I'm just done with that. I like, you know, to have some space. So, yes. you know, you know, you throw that with uh, with, with a wah pedal and some delay to give you some nice sounds. And I'm set, you know, like I, I don't I, I used to be the guy that had to, that the pedal board of like, you know, eight different variants of mm -hmm. like flanger. And, you know, and I'm just like, OK, what am I doing this for? <laughs> you know, keep as it we simple. Older, we wanna, yeah. As we, as we get older, we want to economize. My older boy is 27 and a half. Mark Valentino, Jr. He's a phenomenal guitar player, and I'll, I'll, I'll give him a shout out. He plays in uh, a grindcore band called Blame God. I might like it. I love grindcore. So. Oh my God, it's brutal. My fiance. The last time we went to see his band play, she only would go if she was allowed to wear earbuds and listen to Christian music while the band was playing. She was frightened of the music. She She's a very, very sweet woman who's into her Christian music, her Latin music. I've kind of got her into the rock and metal stuff, but it's, it's scary sounding music. And again, he plays all over the country. He plays through a beautiful double rectifier half stack. He's got some beautiful guitars, but he's got a pedal board I heard him doing a podcast one time. He was he's he's got like striming everything. He's he's got to spend at least a thousand dollars just on the pedals that, that he has right now, you know. And it's like 
that works for him. Because when I was 27 years old, I was the guy playing with all the pedals too. As we get older, we don't want to carry so much stuff anymore. We don't have right. rooms. You know, if it's not on wheels, I don't want it. There <laughs> you, you go. Put it in a bag. But, but I got to ask, playing in your local church, how do you feel your son being in a band called Blame God? It, listen, I, I, I got saved by Jesus Christ back in January 2021. I gave my life to the Lord. I became born again. I, I converted from Catholicism to Christianity for, for a bunch of different reasons that are that are personal to me. I don't push my religious or my political views on anybody. It's not right for me to do so. Um, he, I, he doesn't even understand the lyrics of their songs. He just plays guitar in the band. I ask him all the time, what are the, what are the lyrics? He goes, Dad, I have no freaking idea. I just, <laughs> you know, he's like, I have no fucking clue, Dad. I'm like, all right, I can live with that. It it doesn't bother me. You know, I, I wouldn't care if he was playing, you know, Scandinavian, you know, death metal, you know, satanic music, whatever, you know, that it, it, it's, <laughs> It has no bearing on my life. I, I, I you know, uh, I, I, I can't be trying to fault you for the speck in your eye when there's a log in mine. That's beautiful, man. Beautifully people, well put. Yeah, that, that's that, that's really what it is. So, no, nah, you know, as a born again Christian, I, I, I don't let that extent of my, 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 my spirituality and my faith in God dictate what my son should be playing in his band. He's, he's making music. He's happy. He's a good guy. Has never gotten into trouble. Leave him alone. I th I think that's that's awesome for you to say that. I mean, I, I'm I'm Christian myself. I'm a believer myself. Um, you know, I was born in the Greek Orthodox Church, but I ended up marrying a Catholic girl. My daughter's Catholic, and mm -hmm. you know, I play in a band called Severed Angel. And like, I have to tell people, we're not a religious or a political band because right. all of us, the five of us that make up the band, are completely different people. Sure. You know, we agree on some things. We disagree on some things. Sure. All we care about is just writing good songs. So, you know, and we That's all it. get along because of that. So like, I, like you said before, you know, Springsteen, you're not really crazy about him now. There's a lot of people I know who all they focus on is his political views. I don't care what his politics are. The music shapes my life. The music shapes me as a songwriter. Music has been there in my lowest points of my life when nobody else was there for me and has been there when I celebrated the best moments of my life. What do I care what that person's political views are? Their, their music kept me from maybe doing something I shouldn't have done to myself. What do I care what his political leanings are? It makes no difference to me. I'm there for the music. That's awesome. I'm glad you could share that, Mark. Thank you. Absolutely. So I've seen old footage of Armada back when they had their original guitarist. Yes. And it hey. sounded really good. Yeah. Um, but with you in the band now, it appears as though there's been new life that's been brought into it. Yes. What was it that led you to joining Armada? I had taken a few years off from music. Uh, I, I was in an original band for a few years. It was just getting to the point where I wasn't enjoying myself in the band. Uh, we would have our text threads and I'm, I'm like, sounds like high school, man. Like there's too much drama here, you know? And I just wasn't enjoying it as much. Uh, we were, we were doing a lot of pay to play shows, you know, where, you know, uh. yeah, you know, yeah, you're paying the guarantee for some washed up headliner. I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. I quit the band without even thinking. I was actually on vacation in Florida. I'm sitting on a beach watching the sun come up and I'm reading these text messages and I'm like, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. And I'm a firm believer in anything in my life that I've ever done that once I am not happy, anything in my life, Lou, I walk away from. I don't try to stick it out. 
Life's too short. You got to find your happiness. You know, there's a reason why the, the, the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. There's more in front of me than there is behind me. And guys my age, we've got more years behind us than we have in front of us. I don't have the time for bullshit. So I, I just quit. I walked away from music for a good three years. And I started thinking about getting back into playing again. I was trying to decide if I wanted to go cover, tribute, or original. Uh, I, I auditioned for a cover band that was doing like generic rock. And again, I would have felt like I was playing Brown Eyed Girl to five old people in a bar. I'm like, no, I can't do that. My PTSD is coming back. There you go. I might have started Twitch, you know. I started putting out a bunch of ads on different Facebook musician uh, pages. I'm on like a dozen different Long Island music pages. And uh, I just put down, you know, guitarist looking to join a band. Many years of stage and studio experiences. I've done studio work. Uh, you know, uh, any style of music to be entertained. And I didn't hear anything for months. In fact, maybe one band, which will remain nameless, it was an original band, uh, it, it just was, it wasn't a good fit. I was pretty much going, all right, I guess I'm just going to, you know, uh, concentrate on motorcycles or concentrate on my cooking and things like that, you know? And uh, Armada called me. Dean, the drummer, saw my ad. Uh, their guitar player had decided to leave with very little notice. Uh, for whatever his reasons were, he just did not want to play music anymore. They respected that. You know, we're all adults. And uh, Dean called me up and he goes, you know, I saw your ad. I'm like, what ad? He goes, the ad you had on Facebook. I'm like, that was months ago. He says, yeah, well, I, I found it and we really like you and we want you. It wasn't even like we want you to audition. It wasn't like, you know, learn all these songs and we'll decide whether you're. He's like, no, we, we think you're a good fit. We, we, there's something about you that we like. Uh, I live in Oceanside. They rehearse at the singer's house in Long Beach. I'm like five minutes away from rehearsal. I was like, okay, give me a bunch of songs, uh, learn them. And we just, we clicked immediately. You know, they're good guys. Uh, Armada has been around for 20 years. This year we're celebrating our 20th anniversary. When I was in Cosmos Moon, I was playing shows with these guys back in the day. I, I knew who they were, just lost touch with them, especially with COVID knocking everybody off the stage. Mm. And it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun, man, because it's all original. Uh, I've learned all the songs that they want me to learn. Uh, they don't want me to be a carbon copy of the previous guitar player. There's certain songs where they want me to keep the essence of certain solos because it, it, it continues the melodicism of the song, which I will respect. But I've I the solos I play on the songs live, it, it's it's probably 65% of what's on the CD, and then the 35% is me putting my stamp on it because I sound like me. Like I said, it definitely sounds like with you playing the video footage that I've seen. Um, it sounds like, uh, and, and I mean, no disrespect that when I say this, uh, a younger band that's hungry. Yeah. That happens when you, you've been in bands long enough. They get, bands get stagnant after a while. They do. And every now and then you got to shake up the tree, whether it's you, you take a few months off and don't even talk to each other, or, you know, you, you start playing in other projects to recharge the batteries. They were getting stagnant. They were not being creative. Uh, they were not playing a lot of shows. And then when COVID hit, 
and it took them off the stage. Those three years really did a number on them. And that's when the guitar player, you know, in that time decided that he just didn't want to do music anymore. And rather than just fold it all, they wanted to persevere on. They love the music. They believe in it. They wrote it. It's theirs. And they 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 wanted to continue on. And uh, I mean, my playing style is very different than Jay's. He's a very, very good guitar player in his own right. But yeah, definitely. I, I look at things a little differently when I look at the fretboard. And, you know, I I I, I think I do bring an exuberance, you know, an enthusiasm, uh, an aggressive nature on stage, you know, that I think has sparked them and they sparked me in return as well. Definitely. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, with the pandemic shutting everything down, you know, again, for me, I personally think that the Long Island scene really got hurt with the shutdown of revolution because, uh, you know, because that was a continuation of what the downtown and what the crazy donkey was. Yes. Um, You know, and for me, that was really heartbreaking. But it's it's great to see that, you know, we still have Amityville Music Hall. Uh, there's the Village Pub. Well, there's two Village Pubs, one in Lindenhurst, owned by T.C. Cross. Hi, T.C., how you doing? And yeah. then there's the one in Massapequa. There's also Mr. Beery's. There is Mr. Beery's, which is not far from yeah. where I live in Levittown. Yeah. There you go. You know? I've been around for like so, 40-something years, you know? There's still places to play. I mean, you know, they're not, you know, it's not Lemoore in Brooklyn or uh, CBGB, but so what? It's still a, a, a reputable, credible place to, like, plug in and hopefully get people to come down, enjoy themselves and listen to good music. The Long Island music scene has changed and evolved so many times over the years. You know, late 70s, mid to late 70s, there was live music seven nights a week on Long Island. The Good Rats. The Good Rats. Zebra. When Twisted Sister was just a club band. Uh, you know, folks like, like, like Bonnie Parker, who's been around for a very, very long time, a phenomenal musician. You, and you would go out seven nights a week and you would see any band that was out there and you would go from club to club to hear all this great music and people would stick around. Like I'd be coming out to see your band, but I still stick around to see all the other bands afterwards. Cause it, the, it was just a hotbed of original activity. And, and there was, it just died over the years. And I know in the early two thousands, there was a chance of it coming back. You know, cover bands and tribute bands were starting to become so popular. They were dominating the Long Island music industry, but there was still like this underground movement of of, of bands that still wanted to do original music. The problem was my band would come to play, everybody would see my band, and as soon as my band was done, they leave. And I would be like, no, no, stick around, see Lou's band, they're really, really good, you gotta stick around. No, Mark, we're done. Because I think the demographic of people who like original music on Long Island, they're, well, it's not even the demographic of people who like original music. People want to hear what they know. Yeah. People my age, you're, if you're in a band, you're going to do well in a cover band or a tribute band. You're the human jukebox. Like you said, you're stuck in the corner by the bathroom. People are there for the purpose of looking at the band. They're there to drink, to socialize, to meet somebody, you know, so that's why I never like playing conventional bars. We like playing rock clubs, small theaters, where people are there for the focus of seeing the band, put on that performance. And that seems to be where we do well. You know, and, and right now, again, you know, if, if if I go anywhere in the world and I tell somebody I'm a guitar player from Long Island, oh, really, what 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 band do you guys cover? What what, what band do you attribute band in? That, that's what we're known for. Uh... And it, listen, again... 
time and place for everything. I never knock it. But me personally, and I, and I don't say this with disrespect, I don't like playing Let's Pretend. I don't like getting dressed up for Halloween every time I got to get on stage. I right. just want to get there and play music. I want to create, you know? Uh, I'm not looking to make money from it. I, I make really good money with my job. You know, I, I don't need to make money off of it. That is a, a perfect point because I think, I think we're at a point in time where we are past wanting to make money playing original music yeah. and more just looking for emotional and mental satisfaction exactly playing the songs that That's we love is. to play because we wrote That's them exactly you know like a friend of mine who's close to me who i always respected but i always felt like he had a little bit of jealousy of me because like he plays bass a little bit but he never really did much with it and we would talk music and stuff like that and he's like you know you think you're so big for good rocks though you know you, you you're not you're not famous nobody knows who you are that's and not like, the point. I'm like, well, people do know who I am. I said, because I can walk into different guitar stores and I've been approached. Hey, didn't I see you in that band a few weeks ago? Didn't you open up for so-and-so? Yeah, that was me. Oh, you guys are really good. Thank you so much. I mean, I get nervous. I get bashful when people do know who we are, you know, things like that. I'm not a yeah. famous person, but, you know, if, if I saw you on stage last week and I see you in Guitar Center and I never met you before, I'm going to go, that's that guy, Lou. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm going to go up and say hi. Well, you're, you're not a household name. I said, okay, here's how I know I succeeded in the music industry. When I do a show and I'm playing my original music and people in the audience are singing along to the songs that I wrote or my band wrote, that's all the fucking success I need. Jackpot. So, so as they say in Canada, peace out. That's it. I can die a happy man. What more do I need? I don't need a Grammy. I don't need all these awards. I don't need the money for it. Because when you start doing things for money, it becomes a job. It's not a passion anymore. Correct. I Thank have you. passion in my music. And you can totally relate to that. I and can relate to that because for me, when I wrote music for our debut album, it was it was sonic therapy because sure. I was dealing with the death of my mother. Oh, wow. Okay. So all that negativity, all that anger, all that sadness was put into just writing the, the heaviest and most melodic music that I could. And for some reason, it's it's resonated with the people who listen to it to where our Facebook account has grown up. We still haven't played a show. Our sales on Bandcamp are doing really well. We haven't played a show, but people love the music. And for me, that's my takeaway is that I I, I enjoy writing it and people are enjoying listen to, listening to that's it. it. That's so, it. It's not always about the dollar. Right. It's not always about the dollar. You, you, you want to make money, go get a job, do what you got to do. But to me, this is an outlet. Like you said, you wrote music because, you know, the loss of your mother was so heart wrenching. That's how you that's how you coped with it. That was your coping mechanism. Right. I, we, I can't say how many songs I wrote that had to do with certain things that happened in my family, certain things that happened in my life, certain things that happened in relationships. Uh, they, they, they were cathartic for me to be able to take what I was feeling inside, put it on paper, put it into music and, and, and deal with it so much better that way, as opposed to 
looking through the bottom of a, a bottle or something like that. You know, yeah. substance in my body that would never be good for me. The funny thing is the question that I was going to ask was what keeps you going? But I, you just answered it. <laughs> we just had a whole five minute conversation. Being creative, man. That's what it's about. Be creative. Exactly. I don't need to be the best guitar player in the world. I don't need to be the fastest guitar player in the world. I don't need to play arpeggios. I don't need to play Paganini's 24 Caprices and all that stuff. You know, all the everybody wants to be the new gunslinger. No. I want to be the guy that's remembered for writing a song that meant something to somebody. How much more is there to ask? You know, what, what keeps me going is the, the, the desire to create something new. I, I'm always always recording stuff up in my studio upstairs uh stuff that i bring to armada i give it to jose our singer he's he's like the master lyricist i don't have to even look at his lyrics i know he's going to write something great for my next instrumental solo album because I, I did one back in 2003 the stuff i'm doing for my my, my instrumental record okay that I, I can make it self-indulgent i can do whatever i want layer as many guitars you know but I'm always creating. That's the spark that keeps me going because I had writer's block for a number of years. Went through a horrific divorce. I was in a horrible period of my life. I felt like I, I wasn't worth anything. I felt like the most lowest form of life in the world. I couldn't write two notes together. I couldn't put two words together on a sheet of paper. I was in the most darkest place of my life. I'm not there anymore. I, I've been at the, the bottom and looked up, you know, where I couldn't go any lower. And now I just have all this creativity and just want to enjoy life and, and just make some music, have some fun. Life's too fucking short. You know, it's it's inspiring for me to hear um, fellow guitarists. And yes, I'm biased towards guitarists because I am one. Yeah. Um, hearing that, you know, they've gone through similar trials and tribulations as I have. And, you know, and there's a whole slew of us out there that, you know, feel the same way. Where it's like for us, guitar is a, 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 a it's a labor of love. It's a passion. You know, we don't care if we make money from it because we just love it that much. But if we do, hey, bonus. But, you know, oh, yeah. we I, I, I think it's wonderful to hear you saying this. And, and thank you for saying it. Listen, absolutely. You know, we're human, man. You know, I don't care what color you are, what religion you are, what your ethnic background is. If you cut us, we all bleed red. We're human, man. Yeah. And it, 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 it's, it's, again, life is too short. You know, I lost my mother in 98. I lost my father in 2001. I'm still not over it. There's still times when I grieve, you know, and I've written songs that have my parents in mind. I've written songs about friends of mine who have died and stuff like that as a way to honor them and remember them. And, and you know, I was never, even though I grew up in an era with all that hair metal stuff that we talked about, I was never good at writing songs about sex and partying and stuff. I think, I think <laughs> like in the early 90s, I wrote one song that was about getting laid. It never saw the light. I wrote these lyrics out. I wrote some music. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, come on, stop. You know, I go back to like, would Springsteen write a song like that? You know, no. You know, to me, my songs have to tell a story. You know, it's got to give you that visual. It's not just sound for the sake of sound, you know. And I also have a problem where I have a hard time writing songs that are under six and seven minutes long. You know, I guess that dream oh, yeah. influence comes out. You know, So my songs will never be on pop radio. I can tell you that. But I write what I feel in here. You know, it, it, I, I'm, I'm true to myself. I, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to sell out. I'll probably never have the opportunity to sell out. But I, I just, just want to create music 
that's got some substance behind it that people are not going to listen to it and go, well, he's a great guitar player. I want people to go, I can see where this person's coming from. I feel like that too. He hears me and I can relate. That is what makes the difference. That human connection, that symbiotic yeah. connection between the artist and the listener. That to me is what's most important. And to provide some anecdotal uh, humor to it, I mean, I, for me as a kid growing up, my two gateway albums into metal were Def Leppard's Pyromania and mm. Quiet Riot's Metal Health. Oh my God, sure. Yeah. Um, not knowing that Quiet Riot was Randy Rhodes's band, uh, you know, right? that was before Ozzy. Yeah. And, you know, Randy is one of my all time. He's a, him, Tony Iommi, Eddie Van Halen, and Richie Blackmore make my Mount Rushmore. Um, but I'd have to say that you know, as much as I love mental health and I can still listen to it to this day, I can never write a song like Let's Get Crazy, where mm. the second verse starts, I want to kiss your lips, not the ones on your face. But the thing is, I, I, <laughs> oh, it's fucking brilliant. I couldn't there write something go. that yeah. shallow. Yeah, I, 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 can never, I, I can never be Gene Simmons, you know, who wrote a song where the line was, I want to put my log in your fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, come on. I, I just can't do it. You know, number one, the woman in my life, I, I, I can't show her disrespect. She she's she's my goddess. I put her up on a pedestal. I would never want to write anything where someone's gonna go, is he writing that about her? You know, I mean, no, no, that that, that that's my sanctuary, you know. I'm but so I, glad I, you never write a song like Burn Bitch Burn and Dedicated. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope, you know, never gonna happen. But I know what you say, like like gateway to metal for me. It was Metallica's Kill Em All. Oh, and, that's good stuff. And Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden. And I learned in high school because I saw I saw Metallica January 21st, 1984 at the Rio Theater in Valley Stream. They were playing. I didn't even know Valley Stream had a venue. Yeah, it was, a, it was an old movie theater before these multiplexes when you had a standalone movie theater, just one big ass screen with a balcony, you know, the old fashioned movie theaters. Right. The real theater was uh, an old movie theater that was converted into a concert hall. So they took off the screen, they built a stage, and they still had all the seating and the and the uh, the balcony. And um, Kill 'Em All had just come out, I think a year or so earlier. Metallica was coming through, and uh, my friends wanted to go. I'm like, yeah, I'll go. The men's room was the dressing room. I was You're kidding at, me. I was standing at a urinal, and all of a sudden, I get pushed into the urinal. Now. I'm I'm this like hot-headed 18-year-old guy. I'm like, what the fuck? I turn around. I'm so I'm looking at the James Hetfield's chest. He was putting his boots on and he backed up into me. And the two of us are like apologizing to each other. He's this freckle-faced, this pimply-faced kid. Right. I'm, I'm I'm like this jock guido hey! musician guy, you know, <laughs> all rolled up into one. And I was like, what are you guys doing here? You know, like, oh, this is the dressing room, dude. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? I got asked, was this the Kill 'em All for one tour with Raven? Raven did part of the tour, but the band that opened up was a local Long Island band called Takashi. Uh, the singer okay. was a guy named Danny Stanton. He manages Twisted Sister now and some other bands. Yeah, I've but, heard of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny's band Takashi opened the show. Uh, but that was the tour with Raven. Raven didn't do that show, though. I think Takashi got on because they were a local band. Kill Em All, I learned how to play that album note for note, like when it first came out, man. I, like I said, I learned how to play fast before I learned how to play well. But Number of the Beast, you know, like just 
the riffing and everything in that album, you know, like How Would Be Thy Name is still my favorite Iron Maiden song of all time. Oh, oh it's classic. And yeah. they play it live. I mean, it's it still yeah. sounds as chilling as it did on back on the record. I'll tell you a funny story. They played the UBS Arena last year. Right. Little, who just turned 12 yesterday is the biggest Iron Maiden fanatic in the world. Good took, job starting him off very well. well. Both my boys got started off right. I took Jamie to see Maiden last year, his first concert ever. Watching him stand in front of me, amazed at that band, reminded me of how I was when I was a kid listening to these bands for the first time. When they played How Would Be Thy Name, I was welling up with tears in the middle of this huge arena with this most emotionally incredible song. And at the end, when the band starts to take over that whole fast section and then the dueling guitars, I was getting a lump in my throat watching my little boy. And I'm like, it's just come full circle. I introduced my older boy to good music. Now he's on his own doing his music. My little guy, he's on his way. Yeah, he he loves Dream Theater. He loves Kiss. He loves Iron Maiden. He loves He loves music. And uh, we'll see where it takes him. You know, it's it's beautiful that you shared that. Um, you know, I, I had two older brothers. My older brother, Mike, was the reason why I wanted to become a musician um, because, yeah. you know, I was I, I loved how he played bass. And, you know, uh, I lost him uh, six and a half going on seven years ago. He had a heart attack. Mm. Uh, but, you know, he was my inspiration to want to be a musician. And our band was always Rush. Mm -hmm. So. You know, like we always got to play Rush together, which is great. But my my oldest brother, uh, Tony, um, his first concert was my first concert. I bought him his ticket for Christmas. He bought me my ticket for Christmas. Wow, awesome. And it was and it was Black Sabbath reunited with Ozzy, Bill Ward and really? uh, Tony Iommi and Geezer at at the time. It was a Continental Airlines arena, but yeah, people yeah, remember yeah. it as the Meadowlands or the Metal Eyes Center. Brendan Byrne Arena, you know. Yeah. So that was our first concert. Oh to each of us. So both of us got to hear War Pigs live in person. We're screaming our heads off and singing it with Ozzy. And it's like, I, I it, you mentioning Maiden with your son just brought me back memories. So it's 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 a yeah. It's like the name of the podcast, people. I mean, it's a it's a fact. Okay. You know, to me, music was always much more than just something that was on in the background. And you can definitely relate to this as a guitar player. As musicians, we can never just listen to the song for the sake of the song and walk away. We're analyzing oh. every component: the drums, the guitar, the bass, the vocal, the mix, the tone, the the way the musicians interact. It's it's like. I analyze everything, probably to a fault, but I I get much more out of it than just listening to something casually. And then I'm like, oh, song's over. Oh. That's three minutes of my life I just wasted. I'll never get back, you know? Yeah, and the and crazy thing is the time that they took to record those songs. Like, think of a song like uh, Metal Gods by Judas Priest. You, go. you know, it's really easy to replicate those sounds today because you could probably buy the sample for them. But they were actually hitting kitchen utensils. They were uh, on on pots and pans to make yeah. those sounds. The sound what they did was they took a whole bunch of cutlery and they put it on a metal tray and they kept on dropping it on the ground. And yeah. Every single time. You have to appreciate yeah. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a difference between a casual music listener and a music lover. Right. You know? I will admit my woman, Rosemary, was a casual music listener until she met me. 
And then I've been teaching her all about music. I've been taking her to so many shows. You mentioned Priest. I had her pressed up against the stage of the Nassau Coliseum back in 2018 for Judas Priest. Because I was working at the Coliseum as a side gig. And we all help each other get down to the front row. St. Patrick's Day with Saxon. I was there. Saxon and, and, and Blackstone Black, Riders. Blackstone Riders, yes. Yeah. I loved that concert. That was she, amazing. She actually heard Rob Halford's voice coming out of his mouth. Like She could hear his voice acoustically. You know, and she was totally, totally blown away by this. And it's like, she's come to see so many shows with me since. And I'm like, listen to this. Like, we'll, we'll be in the car. And I'm like, babe, listen to this passage right here. Listen to this this guitar sound. Listen. Oh, there she is. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> She'll like, I'm like, just listen to that sound. Listen to this tone. Listen to that drum fill. And it's like, she hears music so differently now, as opposed to the way she used to listen to it, which is just a casual listener. We go see shows live. She didn't know there was a difference between a bass guitar and a regular regular guitar. She, they're all guitars. I'm like, no, but count the tuning pegs on that one headstock. That's that's four. That's the bass. And that one over there has got six. That's that's the lead guitar or rhythm guitar. You know, she had no idea. It's like it's like the way she looks at music now reminds me of me when I started listening to music. And I'm 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 just it's not just something to pass the time. Yeah. It's it's it, it 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 resonates. It hits me down in my soul, and I, I just I, I just can't listen to. That's why I think I am a musical snob sometimes. And there are certain types of music that I I just don't like. And if, if it's on, I, I got to walk away because it's just like it hurts my ears and stuff. But I don't think that's snobbery. I think that's knowing when something is meant to hit you on an emotional level, mm -hmm. and something's just meant to be chewed up and spat out like bubble gum. There's a exactly. big difference. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's some great pop songs out there. There are some great pop songs out there. Oh, there absolutely are. Oh, I believe me, there are. But 99% of it, top 40 radio. There's no substance. There's no thought. It's just let's churn out the next two and a half, three minute long song. The, the, they they got to reach the chorus in less than 60 seconds. It's got the same sound. It's, it's an algorithm. Yeah, yeah. It's formula. Exactly. It's very formulaic. It's not for me. No, no. I, and it's okay for, for for the ones that it is okay for. That's fine. We're not taking that away from you. But uh, yeah, man, just I'm I'm with you. Give me give me something that's got some teeth to it, and give me something where it's like every time I listen to it, I hear something new. You know, but, yeah. and I think that's why you know I I go back and I listen to a lot of older records because there's so much more going on than just what you hear on the surface. And I, and I love doing that. I love sitting there and analyzing it. I mean, yeah. people think I'm crazy, but this is why I'm glad that I married a, a, a girl who is a songwriter, is a musician. She's wow. a graduate of SUNY Purchase. Yeah. Um, her album came out before mine did, and it's incredible. Check it out if you can. Beneath the Curtain by Aaron Michelle. Great stuff. Oh, I play on it. Oh, but cool. like, gotcha. but, you know, like her, you know, growing up, like, you know, she grew up on Motown. She grew up on... Uh, the Beatles, uh, you know, and that's my all time favorite. Yeah. Love the, the Beatles. Beatles. But like, you know, it's funny because she'll be like, you know, oh, my God, that melody uh, that the Beatles wrote is incredible. Paul McCartney was gifted with like all the songwriting talent in the world. I said, yeah, but do you hear his bass skills? And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, listen to what he's playing because mm -hmm. it's a counter rhythm to what, you know, uh, John and, yeah. and Ring and, and John and George are doing. It's all about the walking bass line. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it's another thing you got to give Gene Simmons credit for. He's an underrated bassist because 
that was his hero. He he was the Beatle fanatic, whereas Paul Stanley is the Led Zeppelin freak, and you can hear it in Paul Stanley's playing and writing. Gene Simmons is the Beatle, the consummate Beatle fan. And yes, a lot of Kiss doesn't get a lot of credit for their musicianship because of their over-the-top stage show. But like I've always tried to tell people, record sales is not because of the concert, it's because of the music. They right. sold tickets because of the music. They sold tickets because of the concert. His bass lines, he's a very accomplished bass player. And it was very McCartney-esque when you listen to the old Kiss albums from the 1970s. Not so much the 80s, because a lot of the Kiss albums were like Paul Stanley solo albums because Gene Simmons was trying to be an actor back then. Right. But you listen to those Kiss albums from the 70s, oh my God, you, you could hear that that McCartney influence in everything he did. Definitely. And, and wonderful. And I have to thank Kiss because if it wasn't for uh, a song like Deuce, I wouldn't have gone back and discovered a song like The Raspberries Go All The Way, yeah. which I'm sorry. That is like one of the greatest power pop songs ever written. That's what set the tone for it. You, you know, know something? When, whenever I've had people like young guitar players who I talk to and they'll always be like, well, what are your influences and stuff like that? I'll tell them what my influences are. But I tell them, if you like a certain guitar player, find out what that person's influences were. Bingo. Because now you go back to the generation before and you can hear what became the nucleus for how this person created their style and their songwriting. Don't just listen to the one. Go back a generation and you'll hear things you never would have expected. And you draw from that. It's 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 music transcends in so many different ways. Yeah. And, and you can learn so much about how you're going to shape yourself as a musician in the future by what came before us. Lou, at the end of the day, there's there's 12 notes in the chromatic scale. <laughs> there's 12 notes. How you want to shuffle them around to create your statement is up to you. And if you want to find out what, you know, if you're influenced by something. Find out what their influence was and see what you can draw from that and open your mind, open your ears. So That's much a perfect point because, you know, I have to thank the bands that, you know, I ended up loving in my later teenage, early 20s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, up until my 30s, bands like Meshuggah, bands like uh, Periphery, as I mentioned, bands like After the Burial, because if it wasn't for bands like them and, and them all saying Alan Holdsworth, Alan Holdsworth, I wouldn't have gone back and discovered Alan Holdsworth. Exactly. And you know, Eddie Van Halen got the idea for doing the two-handed tapping, hearing Alan Holdsworth, and and Holdsworth was not two-handed tapping. No, he was, he was doing some crazy-ass, like, yeah. With all those crazy legato runs, and Van Halen just heard it, and he's like, okay, well, let me try it like this. And it, so, like they always say, necessity is the mother of invention. You know, he he had the desire and the need to want to learn those licks, but there was no internet or YouTube to go to back in the early 70s. There was not. So, you know, it, it's it's crazy how that works. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's funny because, like, you know, Steve Hackett and even Ace Frehley to an extent <laughs> did a little oh. two-handed tapping of their own back in oh, the day. Yeah. But I, I, oh, I love Genesis. I am a Genesis fanatic. Nothing wrong with that. I love them, too. And I started listening to the Genesis when Peter Gabriel was still in the band. <laughs> that was and, yeah, again, a little bit older than you. No, I know, I know. It's just, it's it's cool to talk to people that lived it and remembered it. Right, but in 1977, 
Genesis put out a live album called Seconds Out. It was recorded in Paris. Mm-hmm. And my, my friend John Camioni, one of my old childhood friends, I would go over his house and his older sister, Donna, had all these great albums. Like she turns on to Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin. We're 12 years old. And she goes, you got to listen to this band. And she puts on the first side of this double record set. People remember what albums used to be. And it was the song Squonk by Genesis. Now, at this time, Phil Collins had already taken over. But yeah. these were all like the old Peter Gabriel songs. And I was just, again, blown away hearing colors and and, and hearing this music. Because at this point, I was like this little rock and roll kid. But now all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, what's this stuff called? Well, it's called progressive rock. It's called art rock. I've been, I've loved Genesis. I, I've seen Steve Hackett a million times live. You know, I, I anything to do with Genesis, the musical box, that tribute band, I, I, I've i seen them almost every time they've come to New York for the last 15 years. See, that is, musical box is definitely one of my top 10 favorite songs of all time. It's funny you mentioned Squonk. That's my favorite Genesis album, Trick of the Tail. Yes. And, you know, just hearing, and I love the stuff they did with Gabriel, and I love the stuff they did as a trio. But it was just right. something about that album. You Amazing. Know, Amazing. Yeah. The song on Seconds Out that does it for me is Afterglow on the oh, Seconds Out goodness. live version. Those drum fills at the end. Now, again, I'm a drummer also. And I've always loved Chester Thompson, who was Genesis's touring drummer. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge Mike Portnoy fan. You know, I'm like, I love all these drummers. Uh, I'm actually pretty friendly with Steve Hackett's old drummer, a guy named Gary O'Toole. He's he's in my top five drummers of all time. But when I heard Afterglow and I heard those drum fills at the end of the song, I'm like, I want to learn them. And it took me years. But I can honestly say that I would put my old iPod on, put it on the floor, Tom, put my earbuds in and play along to that song. It's taken me years, but I love doing those fills because the fills are musical. It's not just blast beats and crazy stuff. Those fills, each one of their own. Yeah. A beautiful part of that song that if you took one away, it would all fall apart. If you did one more than what's there, it would be overkill. The arrangement of those drums fit the context oh, of the song. Yes. And it's Phil Collins. I, for some reason, for years, I thought it was Chester Thompson. But a friend of mine is like, no, Mark, I, I, I saw Genesis do that back in the day with Phil. And that was him on that. He's doing those fills. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I will say this, though. His son, Nick Collins, is an incredible drummer. Yes. And I Boy. think he's got a he's got a, a bright future ahead ahead of him. Uh, we saw definitely, them. we saw them in Genesis uh, at the UBS last year. I was there too, and right? I will say this: I'm glad the apple did not fall far from the tree. <laughs> he's amazing. I mean, and he you talk about breathing new life into a band. You talked about me before with Armada. He made those songs a little grittier, a little heavier, you know, without yeah. turning it into dream theater level. But he took that progressive music. And he gave it a hell of a rock feel to it that just worked. You know, he really did a great job. I, I thought it was amazing. If more people want to find out more about you, Mark Valentino or Armada, where can they look? The best thing right now is to go to our website, armadarockband.com. Uh, we have our show schedule up there. We have YouTube stuff up there. We have some music. Uh, as far as my solo stuff right now, uh, if you go to SoundCloud and you type in Mark Valentino Senior SR, or you, you type in Project Chaos, P-R-O-J-E-K-T-K-A-O-S, you'll find a lot of my solo music. 
my newest solo music is on SoundCloud at Mark Valentino Music, all one word. Uh, got some shows coming up with Armada. June 17th, we're going to be playing Mr. Beery's. Uh, July 15th, we're going to be playing the Village Pub South in uh, Lindenhurst. And on August 5th, we're going to be playing Lucky 13 Saloon in Brooklyn. We love playing Brooklyn. The original music scene out there, no matter where we play, whether it's the Meadows or Lucky 13, we have such a great time. The crowds are into it. Uh, Brooklyn is becoming what Long Island used to be with the original scene back in the day. Mark Valentino, I can't thank you enough for being here on the Music is Live podcast. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to get to know you and get to talk to you. And uh, I'm happy to call you a friend now. Absolutely. And, you know, I hope to come check you guys out one day very soon. I'm going to try to come to the Beeries one since that's uh, my local place. Well, we can hook up some shows with Severed Angel and Armada. Let's let's do some shows together. You're a friend, you're a brother now, you're family. So this was a lot of Thank fun. You. And uh, definitely uh, want to see you soon. This Sounds good. Great. Hide your wife, hide your kids. There you go. <laughs> To find out more about the Music is Life podcast, check us out over at Linktree. That's linktr.ee forward slash Music is Life podcast. Also, don't forget to check out the parent network, Ratsile Review, over at ratsilereview.com. And don't forget to check out my original band, Severed Angel, over at severedangel.com. Once again, Mark Valentino of Armada, thank you so much for being on the show. My and, pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And remember, all art is valid. Cheers. Right. Thank you for listening to the Music Aside podcast brought to you by Anchor.fm and Ratsad Review. Check out the other shows on Ratsad Review, including Beyond Bushido, Old Man Metals Musings, The Right Opinion, The Vieira Vault, The Timo Toki Podcast, The BS Sessions with Mark and Jerry, Just the Cheese Please, and The Friday Night Party with the great Harry Barnett and Evie. Graphics by Rocky Baia. For commissions, find them on Twitter at R-O-C-K-Y-B-A-I-A. Intro and outro music for the show is Lose Control by The Rebel Medium, written by Jacqueline Guitard, Ernest Leyuk, and Lou Mavs. If you'd like to donate to the channel, please donate to our PayPal at musicislifepodcast at gmail.com. If you're in a band and you want us to review your music, then contact us at Mavs at musicislifepodcast.com. Special thanks to Wayne Noon and Greg Noggle. With much love and gratitude to Aaron, Anna, and Aloysius. For more information, check out www.musicislivepodcast.com. And don't forget to check out www.ratsireview.com. Remember, all art is valid. Thanks for listening. Cheers. <laughs>